Our reading is Exodus 4, verses 18 to 31. Last week we saw Moses receive his mission from God. Today we join him as he begins his journey serving God, and as we'll see, it won't be straightforward. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him, but Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me, she said, so the Lord let him alone. At that time she said, Bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. This is God's word to us today. There's a well-known advert which Ernest Shackleton put in a national newspaper before his voyage to the South Pole. And in that advert, he said this, Men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return, doubtful, honour and recognition in the event of success. Uh, it's not a particularly inviting advert, is it? Well, how about this one from a, a New Zealand burger restaurant? I need people who can turn up, make burgers, take money and not upset people. The hours are long, the work is hard, we're understaffed and the boss is often grumpy. There's no perks other than being regularly abused by members of the public. If you think the job sounds rough, wait till you see the pay. Might as well be honest. If you're still interested, email gary at nzburger.co.nz. Neither of those jobs sounds particularly appealing or inviting, does it? The, the call they're offering is not one many of us would particularly want to respond to, though we admire the honesty. You know, in the Christian life, we've, we've got to be honest about the call that God makes on us. It is true uh, that Jesus says, uh, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy loaded, for my, my yoke is light, my burden is easy. That's true, but the Bible also says these things too. Deny yourself, take up your cross. He, Jesus, suffered, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. And if you would save your life, lose it. 
we need to be honest, the, the call to the Christian life, uh, what we're going to see in this next section as we're studying the book of Exodus this morning is that, is that sometimes uh, the call is difficult to follow God. Sometimes the, the cost of following God's call is great, but we also need to remember, and we'll also see this morning, that the, the cost of not following God's call is greater. The Bible is not like the latest Amazon self-help bestseller. It is brutally honest at times about what it means for God's people to follow his call. And that's what we're going to think about as we look at Exodus 4 this morning. You, you'll remember what we've seen so far. We've seen uh, God's people Israel enslaved in Egypt. Uh, we've seen basically a genocide as Pharaoh has killed the baby boys. God has met Moses at the burning bush. We saw that two weeks ago in chapter three and called him to go back to lead his people Israel out of their slavery and their oppression in Egypt, to lead them to the land that God had promised them. But as we get to this chapter, the, the mood is dark and it's serious and it's sober as all that lies before Moses sort of begins to become apparent. And I've got just two headings for us this morning to think about. I want us to consider God's call and I want us to consider God's covenant. Those are the two things this morning. OK, so firstly, as we look at the second half of chapter Exodus chapter four, consider God's call. Because what Moses is called to by God is actually pretty tough, isn't it? God says to Moses, go back to Egypt. In other words, go back to that place of slavery. Go back to that place of oppression. Go back to that place of evil and injustice. That place where, where a whole race of people is enslaved, where a whole race of baby boys has, has attempted to be terminated. Go back there and be my mouthpiece. Sometimes God calls us to tough places and difficult situations, doesn't he? Sometimes the, the places and the situations he, he draws us towards are not easy. Uh, they're not like the sort of the, 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 the team parade of, of winning the FA Cup, this sort of victory parade through the streets. It's a call to difficulty and to hardship. That is what Moses is, is called to. It's a tough situation, but notice too here, uh, there's, there's a cost in terms of Moses for his, his family. Uh, the Lord had said to Moses, uh, go back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. And Moses tells Jethro's father-in-law about this. And Jethro says, go, I wish you well. And in verse 20 of chapter four, Moses took his wife and his sons and he put them in a donkey and he started back to Egypt. Remember by this point, Moses has, has been in Midian 40 years. He's now 80 years old. He's, he's made a life for himself. He's got his own family. He's part of an extended family and probably has relationships with, with broader family and friends still. He has a life set up here that he's called to leave. That must be incredibly painful for him as he did that. Sometimes God's people are called to do that quite literally. People are called to other parts of the world uh, to serve him. They have to literally leave family behind. But it's possible too, isn't it, that you, you leave family in a sense right where you are. Sometimes following God means that your family aren't always supported, supportive. Somewhere, sometimes they can be indifferent. Sometimes they can be kind of hostile and make things difficult for you to be a follower. They're not sympathetic at all to your faith. 
some of Jesus' followers said to him, didn't you? We, we've left everything. We've left family to follow you. Sometimes there is a real family cost that we experience as we step into and follow God's call. I guess for Moses too, maybe there's a sense in which the call is that there's an abandonment of his dreams. Moses is 80 years old. I don't know what if you've thought about a retirement plan. Maybe you've done all your finances and you know at what age you'll be able to retire and, and maybe you start to plan your time. Maybe you'll, you'll take up pottery or you'll, you'll travel the world. But Moses here at 80 years old, whatever his plans were, God says, I don't want you to do that anymore. Here's what I want you to do. And it's not going to be like taking a cruise in the Seychelles. It's going to be tough. Sometimes we have to abandon our own plans, maybe our own hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, the, the ways in which we were going to live our lives, the values which we held. All of that can get turned upside down as we as we follow God. And it can be costly as we exchange perhaps one set of hopes and dreams to step into God's call for our lives. Essentially, we we. We become actors, not playwrights. We become actors in God's story, not the playwrights of our own. That can be costly too. Uh, there's a call to, to failure and fruitfulness. God says, uh, when you return to Egypt, do the wonders I've given you. But, verse 21, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will not let the people go. I, I don't know if you've ever tried to, uh, to grow these. Uh, carrots we've uh, we, I, I've, I've tried to do it once uh, to be honest it didn't go well so we, we, we just buy them now um, but if you've ever tried to grow them um, uh, there's a bit of sort of mystery to this isn't there and that you, you you plant the seeds and you wait and, and the green tops come up uh, and then you wait and you see the green tops but you've really got no idea what's going on underneath the soil and you wait and you wait till the right time. And then, and then when you come to pull them up, you really don't know what you're going to pull up at all. Uh, you may pull up uh, huge carrots or you may pay, pull up very tiny carrots. But you don't know, do you? you? You can't always see what's going on underneath. And sometimes all your labour and effort feels fairly fruitless. See, that is what Moses is called to. God says to him, go back to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go, perform the signs and the wonders. And by the way, he's going to ignore every word. It's, it's a ministry of fruitlessness, at least initially, at least for a while until the deliverance finally happens. We might feel like that too. Might we, we might be called into situations where we, we want to make a difference through the way in which we do our work or run our business. And we want to be distinctive in the way in which we, we serve our community. Maybe we serve a school or, or we, we serve a community group or we, we run a charity. Maybe we want to be different and compassionate in our care for our family, both immediate and slightly wider. Maybe we want to be distinctive in, in how we, we attempt to share our faith with friends. And sometimes all of those things can feel very fruitless. We feel like we're, we're hardly noticed at all, that, that nobody really takes notice. Nobody really cares. Maybe even sometimes people make fun of us, maybe at school. If you want to be known as someone who's a Christian, people make fun of you for that. Sometimes it can feel like a call to fruitlessness. And I guess it's a call to confusion, isn't it? There's a certain mystery here. As God says, Moses, go. But by the way, I'm going to be hardening Pharaoh's heart 
There's this, this interplay between the, the call on us as humans and, and what the sovereign God is doing in his plan and in his purpose. He is at work behind the scenes, uh, pulling together all the bits of the puzzle as, as his plan determines. But we don't know, you know, the, the secret things belong to the Lord, says Deuteronomy 29, 29. Uh, and we don't always understand quite why our life situation is what it is, why God has called us to this time or to this place or to this person or to that situation. It can feel very tough, very fruit, fruitless and very confusing. And that's costly and that's hard too. And then there's just the call to sort of the fickleness of the heart, both others and our own. As Moses goes back, uh, as he confronts Pharaoh, um, later on at the end of this chapter, he meets Aaron, he takes Aaron with him and he meets the elders of Israel. And, uh, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people and they believed. And when they heard the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshipped. At last, a, a little bit of success maybe, but then by the end of chapter 5, when, when things don't go immediately well, uh, the Israelites say, May the Lord look on you and judge you, Moses and Aaron. You've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. The, the fickleness of the people's hearts makes Moses' call very difficult. Jeremiah uh, chapter 17 verse 9 tells us the heart is deceitful above all things. So we live in a world, don't we, where, where others' hearts are fickle, where our own hearts are fickle. That can bring us a tremendous amount of discouragement. We can feel like we make so little progress in following God's call or that, that others often let us down or, 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 or do wrong by us. The fickleness of the human heart can be an enormous discouragement. We don't see more results more quickly in the way we'd like. That's hard. I think for many of us, uh, if we're not careful, we can, we can think of Christianity as being a sort of a, uh, a bit like uh, Aladdin and the genie. We think of Christianity as, as, as uh, it's like the lamp. And I rub the lamp and, and out comes the God genie and, and I make my requests and he does whatever I ask. But of course that's not Christianity because the genie serves Aladdin, whereas we serve God. And his ways are higher than our ways. We don't always know what's happening. He doesn't always answer our prayers in the way we had hoped. So what I want to say to you under this first point is, is if you're thinking about becoming a follower of the Lord Jesus, don't do it because you think it will make you happy. Don't do it because you think it'll give you a better, easier life. Uh, the chances are it probably won't. It will come with some cost. I think I'd also want to say to you, if you're, if you're finding your Christian life hard going at the moment and you feel that the cost of following, to some degree that's normal. Uh, that's, that's part of what it means to follow. There might be family costs there might be the abandoned dreams there may be the the feeling of confusion or or fruitlessness to some degree that's that's the path that we're on that is the cost uh, of following and maybe i'd say to you if you're somebody who you're, you're a follower of the lord jesus but you feel like I, I i think i follow god's call but i don't think it really costs me anything at all then maybe you've not quite yet understood all that god might be calling you to a distinctiveness in terms of uh, your your ethics, your values, uh, the way in which you live your life under his lordship, your, your effort to reach out to others. 
maybe there's no cost in your life, are you really following his, his call? Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, was, was a German uh, minister of the gospel during the Second World War. He, he, he died in a concentration camp because he opposed um, Hitler. But he said once, he said, uh, when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. There is a real cost that we have to be honest about and, and acknowledge. If we're really going to follow God's call in our lives, that will come with sometimes great personal cost. We just have to see that, acknowledge that, own that as we step into following him. Because while the cost of following his call may be great, the cost of not following his call is infinitely and eternally greater. So here's the second thing. Uh, we've considered God's call, consider God's covenant. Consider God's covenant. And, uh, and, and here's where I want to look at this slightly weird episode that happens in the middle. I'm sure you, you picked it up as it was read. Uh, this lodging place on the way. God meets Moses and is about to kill him. Uh, Zipporah instantly seems to know what to do. She circumcises Moses' son for whatever reason he hadn't been. Um, and God's anger is averted. And we think, what is that about? There was an early Christian, Maximus, um, the confessor, who said this was his favourite verse of the Bible. And you think, why? What is wrong with him? There's loads of easier, better verses than this. This is a really hard, strange verse. But he said, if you understand what's here, there's, there's a real beauty in it. So what is here? Well, let me start by acknowledging there's loads of stuff we don't know. I spent a few hours reading commentaries and articles on this. And, and, and part of actually interpreting the Bible well is to be honest when we don't know. Otherwise, we just end up in speculation, which isn't helpful. So we don't know whether God was trying to kill Moses or his son. That's not clear. We don't know why or, or how Zipporah knew exactly what to do. We don't know why she, she wiped uh, the foreskin on, on Moses' um, feet. Feet could quite well be a euphemism. Um, and we don't know quite what she means in calling him a bridegroom of blood. That's stuff we don't know. What we do know, what seems clear here is um, they're on their way back to Egypt. Moses' son has not been circumcised, and that seems a problem. Uh, he is circumcised. And God's wrath is averted. So what is what is happening? And to understand, I think we need to understand covenant. We need to remember the promises that of God's covenant that he'd made to Abraham. And of course, the sign is circumcision. So we remember in Genesis, that this bigger story, God has made these amazing promises to Abraham. I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation. I will give you land. This is all going to happen to your descendants. And he said in, in chapter 17, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. And you are to keep it. Every male among you shall be circumcised. This will be the sign of the covenant. The sign of the promise between me and you. Genesis 17, 14. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. See, the covenant is the relationship God establishes. And it comes with these amazing promises of grace that God will deliver for the people. But the sign, the sign is circumcision. And the sign isn't a way to sort of earn your way into God's covenant, but it's a, it's a taking hold by faith of the promises God has made. And for whatever reason, Moses' son has not had the sign. 
Moses' son is, for whatever reason, they've, they've not quite taken hold of the promises. They've not quite enacted faith as they should have, as God commanded them to do. And as a consequence, Moses' son finds himself on the wrong side of the line. A later judgment is coming on all of the firstborn across Egypt. We're going to see that as we get there. The Passover will cover some, but, but others will die. And as God's judgment comes, this is almost an anticipation of that. As God comes to somebody who's on the wrong side of the line in judgment. And Moses son needs to cross over the line to get into, into the right side, to take hold of God's covenant promises by faith and find the place of safety. It's a bit like this, kids. You, you may play this game in the playground. I was looking up online to try and find out what this game is called. Um, when I was at school, we called it Lurky. Um, I, I think uh, it's called like 40 and in. Uh, my kids seem to think it was just called tag, but that doesn't quite sound right. It's the game where um, somebody is it and they close their eyes and they count to 40 and everyone runs and hides. And, and then they say, uh, whatever they say, you know, uh, one, two, three coming or lurky, lurky, one, two, three or whatever it is. And then people have to come out from their hiding places and get back to base and to touch the base to be safe. And the person who's it has to try and tag them to catch them on route. See, in some ways, uh, Moses' son is in the unsafe place. He is outside of the safe place because he's not at the sign of the covenant. And he's got to get there. He's got to get home to get safe. He's got to cross over that line to have this sign that makes him safe, that puts him within the covenant people. See, as the Bible story goes on, we, we see that Israel broke covenant and that God promised a new covenant that he himself would guarantee God the Son comes as he dies in our place to make the guarantee of this new covenant. And the sign of that is baptism. See, for some of you, let me say, some of you kind of, you're wandering around the playground playing lurky, kind of thinking, well, it's okay. You know, I'm, I'm kind of having fun. Is it that big a deal if I, if I get home and get safe? So yeah, because if you're outside of this place of safety, you, you face the potential of God's judgment. If you don't take hold of God's promise by faith, the sign is baptism. Jesus is the bridegroom of blood, the one who sheds his blood to be the bridegroom of the church. But there's a seriousness here. I think this passage tells us there's a, there's a necessity that if you haven't yet come to, to God's covenant promise and, and laid hold of it by faith, the sign being baptism, then you need to, because outside of that, you're on the wrong side of the line. You're not safe. There's also the comfort of the, the adequacy of that promise. The adequacy for those that do, you see, once, once the deed is done, Moses' son is safe. Uh, as soon as the person lays hold by faith of God's promise, they are safe in his covenant, promise, power, mercy, grace and love. There's an adequacy. There's nothing else we need to do to earn salvation or maintain salvation. It's all done as we, as we claim uh, the promise by faith. But we need to do it. We need to, to cross over. We need to take hold of all that God offers and not just linger around the edges looking in. It's, Moses' son tells us it's possible to hang around with the covenant community. It's possible to hang around with God's people and, and have a lovely time but still be outside of the promise because we haven't personally taken hold of it. And that's a dangerous place to be. This passage, is, as weird as it is and all the bits we don't understand, says, look, you... Don't be on the wrong side of the line. Don't be outside of the covenant people and the covenant promise. Take hold of it by faith. Commit to it personally. Find that place of safety and shelter and ultimate 
deliverance. Well, this passage shows us in a nutshell is that, yeah, listen, the, the cost of following God's call may be great. It may be great. But actually the cost of not following his call is greater still, as Moses and his son nearly found out. It's perhaps an, an uninviting call. It may feel an uninviting call for you this morning. Men and women wanted journey hazardous, at times very difficult, often dark, at safe return, maybe doubtful, but it's a call that we simply have to respond to when we understand who God is. Uh, part of what we understand as we look at the rest of the Bible is, uh, is this, this, this paradox of faith. Though the call is tough, what we find it is that we have to deny ourselves to find ourselves. We have to lose our life to, to gain life in all of its fullness. As we take up the cross, we find a crown. To encounter human rejection is sometimes the consequence of finding divine acceptance. Sometimes we have to give up worldly wealth to gain the sort of riches which can never perish, spoil or fade. Sorrow often leads to gladness, mourning to joy. The mourners will be comforted and the meek will inherit the earth. The call may look and feel uninviting in some respects, but it's also unavoidable. And if we understand who God is rightly, it is undeniable. It is a call that speaks to you and me as the, the only thing to do, as costly as it may be. The cost of following may be great. The cost of not following is greater. So as the writer to the Hebrews says, and I'll close with these words, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts.